You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Have you found the refuge that you need by connecting with Jesus, our Lord and Savior? He wants to treat you just like he treated the woman. He wants to treat you with compassion. He wants to treat you with mercy. He wants to treat you with kindness. He wants to tell you about God's love and God's wonderness for you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was telling her, go live your life and now live it in righteousness. Walk in the freedom that you've been given and the freedom not to sin. Realize we have a freedom not to sin. Today, Pastor Dave will talk about the moment when Jesus forgave a sinful woman. Jesus showed compassion when he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus says the same to you. Have you fallen into a lifestyle of sin? Let Jesus become your refuge and go and sin no more. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 7 as he continues his message, Don't be a Pharisee. Let's look at verses 5b to 6a. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something to, of which to accuse him. It was a trap. They had laid this trap for Jesus. Come on in, said the spider to the fly. They laid this trap out there, hoping Jesus would walk into a compromising position. They laid this trap out surprisingly. They tried to force Jesus into taking one of two positions. If he agreed with the law, the people would question, wait a minute, does he still sympathize with publicans and sinners? How could he sympathize with them? He just agreed with the law. On the other hand, if he didn't agree with the law, then he was a lawbreaker and being the breaking the Mosaic covenant, guess what? They could stone him. They could stone him. What I love about this is you got to study verbiage and you got to study Greek. you got to study the various languages. It's pretty cool. The verbiage here signifies that they repeatedly ask him, what are you going to do, huh? 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 What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? Come on. What are you going to do? We need an answer here. What's going on? They prodded him, almost badgering him for an answer, forcing him to commit. See, another part about a Pharisee, they always push their agenda to the point of being obnoxious. Because the Pharisee can never be wrong in his own eyes. These Pharisees had malice in their hearts to the point of hatred. They had absolutely no desire for righteousness, only to keep the law. The law had been broken. We got to keep the law. If they really wanted to clean up morality in Jerusalem, they should have started with themselves. I mean, we preach against sin. We preach against hatred. We preach against all sorts of evils that are in God's word. But judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment begins here. We need to clean up our acts before we can start pointing out the acts of others that need to be cleaning. You know, take the railroad tie out of my eye so I can remove the speck in my brother's eye. We need to clean up our own house, folks. I imagine... 
These guys were standing around. Those that weren't chiding Jesus, come on, answer, answer, were sitting around going, oh, we got him this time, Ed. We got him, yeah. We got him. He has no idea what he's going to do. We got him. I think what Jesus did next surprised everyone. I can tell you what Jesus did not do. Let's look at that first. He never reacted in anger towards the woman or the Pharisees. He never was in outrage of this glaring sin. He didn't scream at the woman, and he didn't revile the Pharisees, did he? Those who brought him the woman. All he does is he stoops down and begins to write. Interesting. This was a show of humility. This was a show of humility. By stooping to this low posture, he identified with the humiliation of this woman. He did that to identify with so he could care for her, so he could ease her embarrassment of this woman, and so he could lead her to forgiveness. I'm sure she was surprised as anyone else. I'm sure no one had ever treated her with this kind of respect before. One commentator I studied said this, quote, one may say this story illustrates the great problem. How can God show love and grace to the sinner without being unjust, without breaking his own law? He does it by first identifying with the sinner in their low condition, unquote. What did Jesus do? Look at verse B. You know what he did. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I love that. He's oblivious to, come on, Jesus, come on. Hey, what's the answer here? Come on, what are you going to do? We want to know. He's oblivious. He stoops down and he starts writing in the sand. The famous writing in the sand. What did he write? What did he write? This is the only occasion, by the way, that we see Jesus writing. So cursive is important. What did Jesus write? What did he write? Well, there are some manuscripts that have added to the scripture that says when Jesus wrote, he was writing the sins of the people that were present. It's plausible. It's extremely plausible. Why? Because Jesus knew what was in the heart of every man. He knew what was going on, so it's very plausible that he wrote the sins of every person. It could very, very easily be true. But what he wrote has been a speculation of scholars throughout the ages. The truth is, we really don't know what he wrote, but we can surmise it. But I love the fact that Jesus just stooped down and began writing without even listening to them. He kept on writing, and he, didn't even leave. he paid them no mind, and I'm sure this really drove the Pharisees wild. I mean, not paying attention to me? How dare you not pay attention to me? I want to talk about me. And when, you're, when I'm done talking about me, you can talk about me. Because the Pharisees, all they want to do is talk about themselves. They want to show you how righteous they are. They want to show you how wonderful they are and how they've obeyed every law. The Pharisee wants to talk about themselves. But Jesus didn't buy into that. He just stood down there and he started writing. So they continue to badger him. Look at verse 7. And when they continue asking him, he raised up and said to them that he was without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. Imagine the look on their faces when Jesus stands up and looks them in the eye. What did they see? Did they see their disdain on Jesus looking back at them? I'm not really sure because I know Jesus didn't have a lot of good things to say about the Pharisees. He didn't have a lot of great things to say about the Pharisees. But when you look into the eyes of your Lord, your heart has to melt. Your heart has to melt. So Jesus looks him in the eye and says, okay, if we're going to stone her, we got to do it lawfully. 
We're going to stone her. She committed a sin. We've got to do it lawfully. The law says that the witnesses must start the stoning. Here's the rock. Here's the rock. You're the witness. Start the stoning. Instead of passing a sentence on the woman, he passed a sentence on the accusers. He didn't say, don't execute her. He didn't say that. He knew what the law said. He knew what she was supposed to get. The wages of sin, death. Well, he knew that. He knew that. He simply demanded that it be done in a just and fair way. Jesus exposes the Pharisees' thinking, and this is how a Pharisee thinks. Let's punish the sins of others while we ignore our sins. That's a Pharisee. I'm going to punish you for your sin, but hey, don't look at mine. That's a Pharisee. Let's look at verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus stoops down and continues writing. Jesus was trying all he could to calm the situation, to take the tension out of the situation, and he was doing everything he could to give this woman some dignity. This must have pierced Pharisees' hearts in more ways than one. First of all, they weren't getting what they wanted. But I wonder what really pierced their heart. They really didn't know what to do. He had written on the ground. He stood up and said, okay, let's stone her. Those of you who don't have any sin, here you go. Here's the stone. Have at it. Then he stoops back down in writing again. They didn't know what to do, so they started to leave. They started to walk away. And this is the pharisaical way. When somebody calls you on something that proves that you're wrong, the Pharisee walks away. Pharisee doesn't want to talk about it. They walk away. They walk away. What did they do? Look at verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. They left one by one. They started marching out one by one. Now, if he was writing their sins, did they see their sins? Did the older ones have a bigger list of sins than the younger ones? I don't know. But they left oldest to youngest. I'm not sure about that. We looked at that. He had a lot of theories and stuff going around. But it's interesting that they were convicted. But what convicted them? What convicted these Pharisees? Was it the writing? Come on. The truth. Why? Then those who heard it. What convicted them? The word of God, the truth. The word of God convicted them. They didn't leave because of the writing on the sand. All they had to do was take their foot and that would be gone. But when they heard the truth, their hearts were convinced. The Holy Spirit went bang. And that's what the Holy Spirit did to us. Convicted us of the truth. Drove us to our knees and we cried out, Jesus, save me. This goes back to what we said earlier. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts deep into the heart. Paul said to Timothy, it convinces, it rebukes, it exhorts, it teaches with all long suffering. It exposes our weakness. It exposes our failings. It exposes our sin. Paul tells Timothy, it's profitable for doctrine, rebuke, for correction, for correction of a righteous person, instruction for righteousness. They heard God speak and in their heads and they were convicted. So they said, oh, we're out of here. They went. They left. What Jesus wrote on the ground was not nearly important as what he said. 
Did you hear that? What Jesus wrote on the ground was not nearly important as what he said. The Word of God does a mighty work. That's why we said what we said at the beginning of this message. The Word of God sent forth by God to do a work in each and every heart that's represented here today. To do a work in that heart. To do a work in that heart. Let's finish out. 9b, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in her midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. Imagine what this woman felt like when she heard these words. She was standing before a rabbi. And she hears these words that she never thought in a million years she would hear. She expected to be under a stone pile. She expected that her life was over. Jesus speaks to the woman in a soft tone. He doesn't speak to her in a harsh voice. There's no judgment in his voice. He speaks to her in private, not like the Pharisee who wants to blurt it out in front of everybody. He gives the woman some dignity. He asks her, where are your accusers? Because they've all left. They've all walked away. Oldest to youngest, they've left the scene. It's just Jesus and the woman. They're standing in the midst. She's there all alone. Where are your accusers? Then he says, has no one condemned you? She never met a man like Jesus before. Her mind was boggled. He treated her with respect. She probably had never been treated with respect before in her entire life. We don't know if this is the first time offense with, uh, in adultery. We don't know if she was a prostitute. We don't have anything about her. All we know is she was caught. I believe she was set up. He was delicate towards her. He showed compassion towards her. But his forgiveness was not lax on his part. He recognized the woman's sin. He recognized it as sin. He considered her a sinner. But it was sinners that he came to save. Those that are sick go to a doctor. It was sinners that Jesus to save. And it was right there with this little lamb. I love what Paul tells Timothy in Timothy 1 Timothy 1.11. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Oh, by the way, of whom I am chief. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Of whom I am chief. I love that about the apostle Paul. Jesus says, has no one condemned you? She says, no, Lord. The woman guilty of a great sin, knows the goodness of having no confrontation. She felt the joy of forgiveness. She felt the freedom from bondage of sin for the very first time in her entire life. What I like about this woman, at no time did she ever offer an excuse for her sin. She never offered an excuse for her sin. She knew she sinned. She accepted it. She owned it. She owned her sin. She knew what she had done. Her reply to Jesus was with all due respect, calling him Lord. The Pharisees, they always want to make excuses. It's always somebody else's fault or the devil made them do it. They always had someone else to blame. Pharisees are great at the blame game. They love to blame others for their mistakes. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. You know the Apostle Paul beginning the glorious, wonderful chapter 8 of the book of Romans, after you struggle through chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and all that that's in there, now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, my. Thank you, Lord. One commentator said this, quote, In a sense, 
Jesus took her guilt upon himself, especially as he so demonstrably stooped down. He alone was without sin among them. Knowing all things, he had the right to cast the first stone, but he did not. The woman found refuge in connection with Jesus, unquote. Have you found refuge by connecting with Jesus today? Have you found the refuge that you need by connecting with Jesus, our Lord and Savior? He wants to treat you just like he treated the woman. He wants to treat you with compassion. He wants to treat you with mercy. He wants to treat you with kindness. He wants to tell you about God's love and God's wonderness for you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was telling her, go live your life and now live it in righteousness. Walk in the freedom that you've been given and the freedom not to sin. You realize we have a freedom not to sin? Before we didn't have a choice. Now we have freedom not to sin. Jesus recognized her sin, told her to stop, told her to repent, and he gave her hope. Gave her hope. As I looked over this passage, I came up with a great contrast between the Pharisees and Jesus. Pharisees held the woman captive. To Jesus, she needed to be set free from her sin. To the Pharisees, the woman was just an accessory to their plot. They were just using her to get to Jesus. To Jesus, she was a person that needed forgiveness and that compassion. Pharisees only saw the blackness of her past. Jesus looked towards her future. Go and sin no more. A future walking in me. The Pharisees wanted to stone her. Jesus wanted to save her. The Pharisees' attitude toward this woman was one of cruelty. Jesus' attitude was compassion and mercy. Pharisees didn't have Jerusalem in mind. They didn't have the morality of Jerusalem in mind. All they wanted to do was trap Jesus. Jesus had not only Israel, but the entire world on his mind and wanted to save them all, even the Pharisees. Even the Pharisees. Pharisees had no right to stone the woman because they too were sinners. Jesus, who was sinless, forgave taking her sins upon himself at the cross. Now we need to be especially careful that we become Pharisees. We need to be careful that we don't go into that pharisaical thought. Now, the Pharisees of Jesus' day started out trying to please God. They began in a day when Israel was deeply tainted with immorality and unrighteousness, and somebody needed to stand in the gap. The Pharisees filled that gap for a time of need. And in an era where many Jews had abandoned the rules of God, the Pharisees, like prophets, brought the rules back for people to know. They pointed people back to the Mosaic law. They pointed people back to the obedience of God's law. They wanted everyone to obey God's commands. And when things didn't become quite clear, they stepped in and they wrote clarifications called the Talmud and the Mishnah. They wrote clarifications on what the law meant. And they didn't miss anything. They were equivalent to the modern-day churchgoer who seriously wants to please Jesus but goes about it in a legalistic way. The Pharisees were the religious people of that day, and they took their faith seriously. And anytime people take their faith seriously, they can step over from a line from pleasing God to disobeying Him by becoming one of the Pharisees. We want to be careful we don't become a Pharisee. I want to stress you is that the Pharisees didn't start out trying to make God angry. Pharisees didn't wake up one morning, have a meeting, and go, okay, guys, what can we do to really make God mad? They didn't do that. But they did make him angry. Why did they make him angry? What did they do that was so wrong that made God angry at them? Jesus rails at them. Read Matthew 23. Jesus rails at the Pharisees. He rails at them. 
I came up with three things as we wrap this up. Number one, rules became more important than the people. Their rules became more important than the people. The traditions of men became more important than the word of God. They lost the word of God and they started to follow their rules above the word of God. The Pharisees' agenda, number two, the Pharisees' agenda was more important than God's agenda. Their agenda was best. And number three, they believed that their personal sins could be covered up as long as they kept their own rules. And even though the Pharisees may have gotten most of the rules right, they had no love for others. They had no love for others. Paul makes note of this not loving in 1 Corinthians 13, at first one. Though I speak with the voice of tongues and angels and have not lug, I become like sounding brass or clanging cymbals. And I thought that I give the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I have nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but not, have not love, it profits me nothing. This is the pharisaical way. They did everything without love. Everything was done self-satisfying, self-seeking. It was all about them. The last point I want to make about Pharisees. Some of us hate the concept of a pharisaical law so badly that we go into a different direction. We go completely a different direction. We hate the moral police, you know, the morals police. We hate them. It offends us when anyone would take a stand for morality and we feel uncomfortable about it. Usually we get upset when the Christian tries to explain why abortion or homosexuality is wrong. So they quote Jesus, judge not lest you be judged. Or they quote, he was out sin, cast the first stone. They quote that to you. They're trying to imply that Jesus never taught us to judge sin. And that's wrong. They're trying to say that we never are supposed to take a stand against immorality in the world. And that's wrong. They hate the idea of the morals police. Look back in the Old Testament. Go back to the Old Testament. What do you think Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and Malachi did? What do you think they did? They were telling the people about their sins, and they were warning them that their sins were going to bring forth God's judgment. But unlike the Pharisees, the prophets did it and took no pleasure in confronting the people's sins and declaring God. The Pharisees took great pleasure in pointing out your sin. They took great pleasure in pointing out your sin. I mean, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He's known as the weeping prophet because he was in tears all the time, showing Israel their sin. By contrast, the Pharisee would just tell you, hey, you're going to hell. And he would be glad he did it. He would be happy that you're going to hell. He would be happy and excited about that. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't follow the Pharisaical way. Don't be a Pharisee. We gave out a list here. And remember one thing. Remember this, and this is how we're going to close today. Jesus went to the cross for the Pharisee and all of us. Jesus went to the cross for the Pharisee and all of us. We must ever, ever be careful that we don't become a Pharisee. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start, so many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.